Good morning, Hope Jersey City. It's good to be with you again this morning. And this morning, I'm excited to continue our sermon series, Rhythms, the Beauty of a Life with God. In this sermon series, we're exploring different opportunities, different spiritual practices that are available to us so that we can live lives in, in real communion with God. These spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines are extremely important. Some of the ones we've talked about are ones that we're probably pretty familiar with, things like scripture and prayer and worship. And some of the ones we've talked about maybe have been a little more strange to us, like simplicity and fasting and solitude. This morning, I'd like to talk about a spiritual practice and a spiritual discipline that I think we don't often put in that category of spiritual disciplines, and that is the spiritual practice of service. Service, I think, is something that we often think of as a, an activity we perform. Service is something that we do. We don't think of it as a a spiritual discipline in the same sort of way that we think of scripture and prayer. But what I want to say to us this morning is that as Christians, service is not something we do. Service is something that we are. Service is core to our identities as followers of Christ. And I want us to explore that idea together this morning. Our Bible passage is from the Gospel of John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. If you have uh, a Bible around you or on your phone, or you can follow along on the screen with us. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, only my, feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, only one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and he returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. 
Now, I want to begin this morning with that last idea in the passage that Jesus says. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And I want to begin with the fact that service is something that was exemplified by Jesus. In this passage, Jesus sets an example of service for his disciples, and he sets an example of service for us. And I think it's worthwhile to take a minute and pause and realize that the service Jesus is doing here is actually a pretty radical act of service. And to understand this, we need to understand the practice of foot washing. Foot washing is not something that we do or we experience very often. I bet for most of us, the only time we've experienced it is in the context of a couple of church services or maybe a wedding, but it's not something we experience. However, foot washing in the time of the New Testament and in the world of the ancient Near East was a very common practice. And we see it even throughout the Bible. The first mention of foot washing is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 4, where Abraham is receiving guests and he gives them water so that they can wash their feet. We read in the book of Exodus chapter 30, verse 19, that priests are required to wash their feet before they enter into the tabernacle or the temple. Before they enter God's house, they have to wash their feet. And the reason why foot washing was a big deal in this culture has to do with two things. It has to do with the fact that, first of all, they walked everywhere, right? They uh, didn't have Uber or Lyft or subways or you know, segways or hoverboards or whatever mode of transportation. They walked everywhere. Uh, Sure, there were a couple of people who had horses and chariots, but like the average person in the ancient world wasn't taking a chariot to work every day or taking a chariot to the market. They were walking everywhere. And we also have to realize the kind of footwear that people had. People didn't have tennis shoes or fancy dress shoes or, or new wool allbirds or, you know, stylish Uggs or Crocs or whatever people are wearing. Um, People wore sandals. Sandals was what everyone had and what everyone wore day in and day out. So this was a time where people were walking everywhere in sandals. And as you can imagine, feet got pretty nasty. Imagine if you spent all day walking around New York City in flip-flops, what your feet would look like at the end of it, and then do that every day you can pretty quickly see why foot washing was an incredibly important thing to practice. However, foot washing was not something that was done by the elites of society to their guests. If, um, if I was the owner of a large household and I was receiving you as a guest, I wouldn't personally wash your feet. I, what would happen it would be one of two things. Either I would give you water and you would wash your own feet, or I would have a servant or a slave wash your feet. So what's happening here in John chapter 13 is that we see Jesus do this amazing, really radical act of service. Jesus is the leader of this group. He's the teacher and the Lord, as he says in this passage. He's the one with authority, but he's the one who kneels down and takes the dirty, grimy, nasty feet of his disciples and washes each one of them. 
it's an amazing example of, of humility, of Jesus willing to put himself below others, of service, of putting the needs of others in front of him. It's an amazing example of self-denial. And this example flies in the face of so many things that our culture is about. We live in a world where you are supposed to delegate all of your small tasks to other people. Jesus here doesn't do that. We live in a world where you are supposed to seek more and more authority, in a world where we play the game of promotion over and over, and the service that Jesus sets the example of in this passage flies in the face of all of this. This service is ones where you take on the small, the dirty, the humiliating tasks. And you do it because you are following Jesus. So Jesus sets this incredible example of service here in John chapter 13. But he also shows us some really cool things about service. Jesus shows us that when we serve, we're not just being obedient to an example because we are supposed to, but we are actually participating and sharing in God's work. When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, he comes to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter is like, yo, Jesus, I don't want you washing my feet. That's weird. And Jesus says, "Um, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is saying, if you want to share in my work, if you want to share in my community, then you need to participate in these acts of service. And what's also really interesting here, considering the foot washing, is that the Gospel of John does something really different than the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the night before Jesus is crucified, have Jesus eating a meal with his disciples. He takes bread, he breaks it, passes it. He takes a cup and he passes it. And what happens is we know that as the Lord's Supper, and it has resulted in the Christian tradition of communion. John doesn't have a Last Supper. Instead, in the Gospel of John, the night before Jesus is crucified, he's not breaking bread with his disciples. He is washing the feet of his disciples. In fact, there are some scholars of the book of John who think that the Johannine community, the group of Christians for whom this gospel was originally written, some scholars think that they practiced foot washing as a sacrament, that for them foot washing was like communion. See, this community realized that these acts of service are things, are are sacraments, are sacraments that we get to engage in and to experience God's presence and to participate in God's work, right? We often think of service as something that we are obligated to do, as this external task that we have to fulfill but true Christian service is done not, in, not because of trying to gain something, but because we have already gained something. We serve not to earn God's love or to earn God's favor, but we serve because we are already loved by God. And God has already given us his favor. We serve because doing so is sharing in what God is doing in this world. 
Uh, this week, I've, I came across, I've come across a really great example of service. Uh, over this the week, Courtney, my wife, and I have started beekeeping. It's super fun, and we're so excited about it. We got two hives uh, last week, and this past week on Tuesday, we got bees and put them in our hives, and we're in the process of taking care of these bees, and uh, you know, hopefully are gonna harvest honey, honey sometime in the spring, and we're, we're just so excited. We're becoming these like bee nerds. But bees are a great example of service. So bees, the typical bee, lives for about six weeks. And the entire, uh, during the entire time of their life, they are serving the hive. And actually bees go through a pretty regular uh, stage or three stages in their life of service to the hive. When a bee first comes out of its little cell in the honeycomb, for the first one or two weeks, 10 days of its life, the bee is a nurse bee. So during this stage of the bee's life, it stays in the hive, and it goes from cell to cell where the eggs and the larvae are, and it cleans out those cells and it feeds the eggs and the larvae. Then for the next one or two weeks, the next 10 days of its life, after it's a nurse bee, it becomes a house bee. And house bees clean up the whole hive, they defend it from intruders, and they take the stuff that the forager bees, the nectar and the pollen, and they put it into the cells and they turn it into honey. Then for the final like three weeks of a bee's life, it's a foraging bee. So these are the bees that go out of the hive and they go find flowers and they collect nectar and pollen or water and they bring it back to the hive. And especially during this forager stage, bees are incredibly active. They can make 10 to 15 trips per day and each trip can be as much as six miles away from the hive. A, a strong beehive in one day will fly the equivalent of from here to the moon and back. Bees are incredibly hardworking. And what's so funny about them is bees have confounded scientists. Because bees do this strange thing where you have a bee that will spend its entire life working to serve the hive so that the queen can reproduce. And evolutionary scientists don't understand this. Why would an animal work so that another animal can produce? But the thing is, that's what it is to be a bee. To be a bee is to spend your life serving the hive. And they don't need to be taught it. They just pop out of their cells and they do it. And the same is true for us. As Christians, we serve. We serve the work of our king and we participate in God's work in the world and we shouldn't need to be taught it, but we should just do it because we're a part of this family. When we serve, we participate in God's work, but even more than that, when we serve, we demonstrate Christ to the world. I want to show you something uh, cool in this text. In John chapter 13, verse 1, the author puts this kind of strange sentence in at the beginning. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Then, much later in the passage, after the story we read, in um, John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this. 
He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, people will know that you are my disciples by your love. And here's the thing, this love that Jesus is talking about in the context of John 13, it isn't this fuzzy feeling of goodwill towards other people. The love that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 13 is connected to verse 1. It's exemplified in the story of the foot washing. The love that Jesus is talking about is humble, self-sacrificing service. This is what we are called to do, and when we do it, we show people Christ. When I was in uh, college outside of Chicago, I went to a church called Jericho Road Church, and this church had a really interesting rhythm that's unlike other churches. This church, uh, on the second Sunday of every month, we didn't have a Sunday morning worship service. Instead, every month on the second Sunday, we would go into the community and do service projects. And these could be, you know, there was a whole range of things we would do. Sometimes we would, uh, you know, pack backpacks of school supplies for um, under-resourced children. Or sometimes we would go and rake leaves for our elderly neighbors who couldn't do it themselves. Or one time I remember that one of the members of our community had a neighbor whose basement had flooded. So one Sunday, 20 of us from the church showed up and we teared out all the, the flooded drywall and carpet and, and like redid their whole basement and fixed the results of the flooding in a day. Um, it was really cool how this church built this rhythm of service into its life. Now, to be honest, it had some problems. We often only served on the second Sunday, which was a problem. We should be doing it continually. But this really cool thing happened with this church when I was out in the community talking to people, if I ever mentioned that I went to Jericho Road Church, they would say, oh, that's the church that serves. This was in a community of tons of churches and tons of many very large churches, but this small church of about 100 people was extremely well known because they had built a habit of service to the community. And the result of that was that we had many people who came to our church who would never go to any other church. People who had been extremely burnt, burnt by the church or who uh, had some issue with the church or just never would go for whatever reason because of Jericho Road's rhythm of service. They, they entered the doors and often met Jesus. Now, I'm not saying hope should pick up this rhythm. Uh, that church existed in a community and we was doing what was right for them. But we should be people who are consistently and regularly engaged in the practice of service because it is one of the best ways that we exemplify Christ to the world. And so this means that we need to seriously consider the places we exist and what it looks like for us to be servants in those places. 
when we're at home, we need to be people who serve. We need to be people who are willing to put the needs of our partners or spouses or roommates or children above our own and to serve them. Be willing to clean up the messes that they make or listen to them when they're struggling or give them patience and gentleness when they need it. We need to be people who serve others in our workplaces. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that you, you know, let your boss run over you or exploit you, but it does mean that you get to know people and you, you listen to their struggles and you do what you can to help them. It means you get, engage with people in such a way that they will share these things with you. And it means you, you put the needs of others before yourself. We also need to be people who serve at church. I feel like I could maybe preach a whole sermon on this of how we often think of church as this place that we go to to receive something. But we are not a company and you are not a consumer. We are a family, which means that members of the church have responsibility to the church and the leaders of the church have responsibility to the members. And this should be a place not where you only come to receive, although you do that, but it needs to be a place where you also come to serve. And even the hidden ministries that are often overlooked, things like volunteering with the children or being on the hospitality team are extremely important ways that we build a habit and a life of service. Hope Jersey City, service is hard. It requires that we get out of our own self-absorbed bubble and observe the needs of others. It requires effort when we're tired and exhausted. It requires putting others before ourselves again and again and again. But the truth is that that is what Christ did for us. And that is what we are called to do for one another. So let's be a people who join in God's work through service, but also people who get to know God better through service.